For over 30 years, the TAC-P's coveted Black Beret bears the flashing crest. Brought to you by SOCOM Athlete. Send me. You are listening to the podcast, Sydney. Here with you is host, Jason Sweet. Thanks for listening to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send me. Today, we're on with the 124th ASOS TACP unit out of Boise, Idaho. SOCOM Athletes students have graduated in six out of the last seven TACP graduating classes. So who better to get on the episode today than TACP and recruiters from the 124th ASOS? We're joined by Master Sergeant Douglas Brock, who's been in the Air Force for over 18 years. He has multiple deployments to the Middle East and is a JTAC slash TACP operator out of the 124th ASOS. He's also a recent graduate of Army Ranger School, and he's got a bachelor's degree from the University of Phoenix. Also joining us is Senior Airman Coop, 22 years old, born in Minnesota, graduated the TACP pipeline in October of 2019, and then very soon got JTAC qualified deployed to Afghanistan on a seven-month deployment from June 2020 to March 2021, where he was able to use his skills as a TACP operator in joint special operations, working with multiple agencies, including the 75th Ranger Regiment. And lastly, joining us is my man, Tech Sergeant Dave Anderson. He joined the Idaho Air National Guard as a freshman at Boise State University in 2008. He's done a lot of great things for the Air Force, as well as some cool things on the civilian side of the house. And Tech Sergeant Anderson recruits specifically for the 124th ASOS, which of course is located in the beautiful Boise, Idaho, which we're going to hear all about in a little bit. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you today? Fantastic. Doing great. Well, tell us a little bit about TACP. I'll go ahead and jump in on this one if you guys don't mind. So uh, TACP, Tactical Air Control Party, is um, the one Zulu career field in the Air Force. And uh, the TACP weapon system is what we're commonly referred to as, is your premier, um, you know, precision strike liaison and integration uh, force that uh, is an integral part in the uh, fire support in the DOD. So uh, we advise and assist ground force commanders on the employment of fixed wing and rotary wing air assets as it relates to close air support. And if you don't know what close air support is, that's um, utilizing these fixed wing and rotor wing assets to employ ordnance within close proximity of uh, uh, friendlies. So uh, a lot of detailed integration, a lot of planning, a lot of coordination that we're involved with. Um, so as a TACP, you can expect us to oversee a lot of that detailed planning and coordination to help assist the uh, ground maneuver elements in the field. Excellent, thank you, Master Sergeant Brock. All right, gentlemen, let's go ahead and get some intros done. Uh-huh. We, have our, we have a recruiter on here with us tonight, Dave. Go ahead and tell us about yourself, my man. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a little bit of a, a unique background for me is I actually joined the Air National Guard when I was a freshman in college. I was going to Boise State University. Um, I'd love to get a shout out to our Broncos out there. We, uh, we definitely look for those guys. Um, but yeah, so I was uh, joined the Air National Guard, um, and it's kind of unique how I came here uh, and now recruiting specifically for TACP because that was the first job that when I walked in, I was like, hey, like, what do I need to do? And I went and t- 
this little quick test and it was a little physical test. And I was like, Oh, sweet. I got the bare minimums down. Now, back then uh, in 2008, those bare minimums are a little bit lower than they are now to become a tech B, but uh, ended up doing that passed. And then uh, while I was going to school, I did my MEPS processing and finished that. But then when I went through MEPS, I found out I had an eyesight issue, was unable to actually go tech B. So my first career field was uh, services. And uh, I did that for one week and a month for four years while I was in college um, and basically did fitness testing for, for the unit uh, and actually really enjoyed it. Had a great time, kind of kept close contact with a lot of guys over at the, uh, the TAC P unit. Um, and then after that, I went public affairs for two years as a part-time um, guardsman. And then another unique uh, switch in my life after I was working in corporate sales, I actually moved into uh, a recruiting position and was selected to recruit for the state of Idaho. I've been recruiting for six years in total. And three of those years, I've been specifically assisting the ASOS uh, locally in Idaho to recruit for the TACP career field. Um, have had an amazing time doing it and been able to meet some good friends like uh, Master Sergeant Brock. And uh, one of, uh, I hate to say this, but one of my favorite recruits, uh, I know we're not supposed to say that, is, uh, is Thomas Coop, um, who I recruited kind of from out of state. He actually came from far away. And I'll let him talk more about that, but uh, recruited him to the unit. And uh, now he's a fully qualified JTAC and TACP. Did you recruit Master Sergeant Brock as well? If so, I think you just hurt his feelings. <laughs> uh, I, I did not. Brock and I are, are similar in age and similar in ilk uh, when it comes to our military time frame. So we both were coming in around the same time. Okay, Master Sergeant Brock, let's go ahead and hear from you. Thanks, Tech Sergeant Anderson. Appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, right on. Uh, hey, first of all, thanks for having us on here today. We really appreciate it. So uh, who am I? And uh, Master Sergeant Douglas Brock enlisted in the uh, United States Air Force in 2002, December, as a signals intelligence Morse code operator. So uh, yeah, believe it or not, the military at that time actually had Morse code and we were still using it. So I'm not to date myself, but I've uh, been in 18 and a half years now. Uh, did, uh, did my first enlistment on active duty as an intel troop or, or uh, airman, and then went over to uh, logistic readiness where I actually worked in vehicle operations from uh, about 2005, or sorry, about 2006 until 2015. And during that time frame, did three combat deployments overseas doing line haul operations. So uh, I've got uh, nearly 30,000 miles driven around Iraq uh, between that time frame. <laughs> wow, uh, that's pretty, impressive. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of, lot of road time, a lot of window time in, uh, in Iraq. But, Dangerous uh, too, IEDs everywhere. Uh, yeah, it was pretty hairy between those uh, those years. Um, and then uh, at a certain point in my military career, I didn't feel like I was very accomplished in what I had done. And TACP has always been something that I've wanted to do since uh, day one of basic training. Uh, but just the way life goes and, and how things uh, happen to pan out, it wasn't an option for me at the time. And then eventually in my, my personal life, in my military career, some things lined up and the stars all you know lined up and uh, cross-trained in 2015 to the uh, Special Warfare TACP community. And uh, <clears throat> I did that at 32. And, uh, and since then, uh, been in the 124th ASOS and uh, just just kind of running with things and having a good old time. Uh, currently, a, a flight chief for the for the squadron, and um, that's really about it. In my military career, my personal career, I've got a whole resume of stuff in the outside world that's outrageous. Some people will be like, "Well, I didn't realize that that you did that." Um, all the way down to like being a mall cop for crying out loud, right? So I've, I've kind of all across the spectrums in my background and experiences, but. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 been uh, it's been great being at the one twenty fourth and the Idaho Air National Guard. Thanks, Master Sergeant Brock. 
And for our listeners out there, we're going to provide the contact information for these three gentlemen. It'll be in the caption. And if you want me to, to contact you back directly, it's uh, spec warfare underscore Idaho. Spec warfare underscore Idaho. And we will have mm-hmm. that in our caption. All right. Last, but most certainly not least, Senior Airman Coop. How are you doing today, brother? You're good, guys. Uh, thanks for having us on. And uh, as uh, just starting off, as Sergeant Anderson said, I'm uh, originally from Minnesota, so kind of an oddball coming into the Idaho unit. We get a lot of guys from the West Coast and um, from Idaho. So came in uh, July of uh, 2017. So I was fresh out of high school. Uh, it was kind of the first thing I did. I was debating on whether I want to go to school or uh, do the military gig, uh, but military really uh, kind of stood out to me, and especially the TACP unit uh, that I was joining. So uh, kind of a couple months after that, proceeded on down to uh, basic, basic training down in Lackland uh, and then went straight into tech school. Um, in between that, I was fortunate enough to go to the uh, Battlefield Airman preparatory course. Um, so that was one of the kind of the first courses. I wouldn't call it quite a pilot, but um, that was a super fortunate experience. Uh, and then uh, went on to tech school, finished that up, and then went to the JTAC upgrade. Um, and then I was uh, pretty fortunate to kind of stay on a full-time status as a guards guy and then uh, pick up a deployment, um, go overseas, and then uh, come back and just kind of go back into a full-time status. So a pretty short timeline compared to, uh, compared to the other guys on the, on the podcast right now, but uh, been a great time nonetheless. Awesome, Senior Owen and Coop. And we're going to come back and hear a little bit more about you getting JTAC qualified pretty early in your career, as well as your deployment and having some opportunities to work with the 75th Ranger Regiment. But I want to go back to Master Sergeant Brock. It's clear that you gentlemen absolutely love your team. You love the opportunities that your team up at the 124th has brought you. So tell us and our listeners why the 124th is the best option in the country. What's so great about it? Where is it? What is it? Talk to us. Well, that's kind of a loaded question. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot there. And I'm not going to be able to touch on every aspect as to why the 124th ASOS or the Idaho National Guard is the way to go. Because um, there's, there's just so many, so many aspects of what we do. And uh, we're provided so many different capabilities and opportunities. Um, so 124th ASOS is out of Boise, Idaho. And what makes the, the ASOS so great? Number one, to me, this is Doug Brock's personal opinion, is the, the environments that Idaho provides TACPs at the 124th to train in, right? So we get all four seasons here and uh, fall, spring, winter, and summer, but we also get every environment known to man here. We get the mountains, we get the, the cold weather training, we get the summer training, the desert training. Like we can go explore and train in all of these different environments that help us prepare us, help prepare us for going downrange, whatever AOR we're going to, right? And that's and that's a big takeaway. A lot of these other states, a lot of these other Air National Guard TACP units are not afforded those same training environments. For example, um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention this specific guard unit, but we have had guard units contact us to come out to Idaho and work with us to get cold weather training, uh, to get mountain warfare training, and uh, so we're just. You know, we're fortunate, we're spoiled with where we get to work and train every day, and not everybody else has that same luxury. Along with that is that we have two, we have two flying units, essentially, here in Idaho that we can support and train with all the time. We have an A-10 flying squadron, and we have an F-15, a uh, couple of F-15 flying squadrons down at Mountain Home, plus all of the ranges that are here, right? So we have no drop sites, and we have live uh, close air support ranges as well. So again, super spoiled with our training opportunities, but we get the opportunity to train with those, those units that are local to us, that are organic to us, 
to include an army brigade that we support with surface to surface fires, a live artillery range. And then we get all these visiting units to come and join us and support us as well. So literally it's never ending. The 124th ASOS uh, is incredibly busy. We're task saturated. Our ops tempo is very, very fast paced. And as a guardsman, you don't get to hear that very often. And uh, you know, it's, it's literally, week to week, things are changing. Things are coming across our schedule. Hey, we got this new training opportunity. We've got this, this school or this, you know, local course we're going to go do. We're going to go work with this unit that's in town. And uh, so it's, it's very fast paced. It's a lot of fun. And uh, if you want to stay employed as a guardsman, as a TACP, the 124th ASOS is where it's at. Master Sergeant Brock, when it comes to a lot of the students that come through the SOCOM athlete program that are aspiring for a career in special operations, when they typically hear about guard or reserve, it turns them off of it because they think that they're going to be working legitimately part-time or like once a month. Can you explain to our listeners out there how that does not work in special warfare and that's not the case and maybe how you guys have full-time opportunities as well? Sure. So certainly like as a guardsman or even as a reservist, yeah, your, your schedule and your commitment is, or your obligation as to say is, is, X, Y, and Z. It's the, the one weekend a month, two weeks a year, right? However, as a TAC-P operator, you have, and uh, even more so as a JTAC, as a Joint Terminal Attack Controller, you have an obligation to maintain your currencies as a JTAC, right? So you're constantly honing in and refining and, and maintaining your currencies and being a JTAC. So just to, just to do your two, two days a month and your two weeks a year is not going to be sufficient enough to maintain your currencies as a JTAC. Not to mention how much, you know, information is required to study, uh, how things are constantly changing, technology is constantly advancing. You have to be in the know in a lot of things all the time. So you can't just do your two days a month, two weeks a year. You have to, you have to come out a lot more and get involved a lot more. Um, but uh, as far as like full-time opportunities, I'm not going to say that we have AGRs openly available all the time. I'm not going to say that we have full-time technician positions that are available all the time. However, those opportunities do present themselves based on mission requirements and based on our career field and, and what's expected of us. I can say that the likelihood or the opportunity does present themselves. It's just case by case, but uh, it is like we, as a, as a flight chief, as a, as a guy that's in charge of, you know, 10 to 15 airmen, I'm constantly asking them to come out. I'm constantly asking them to come train. Hey, we have a cast TDY. We have cast lines down at the, the ranges that we're working at. We have an opportunity to go do this. Can you guys come out? What's your availability? And more times than not, the guys are very receptive and they want to come out and they want to work and train and they want to stay in the game. So that's where they're at. Right. And for our listeners out there, the TACP pipeline is fairly lengthy. So you'll get your beret fairly quickly but then you have to do additional training and then now you'll go down to the ftu for a time in san antonio as well and then you'll go to your unit as a qualified tac p operator now correct me if i'm wrong mass sergeant brock but these young tac p or the, these new graduates they're getting jtac qualified pretty quickly right comparatively to the past <clears throat> Yeah, and, and, and Senior McCoop or even uh, Sergeant Anderson could probably speak a little bit more to this than I can, but the way I understand it is that the pipeline, it's, it's been a minute since I've been in, and the pipeline has changed significantly over the last couple of years, but the pipeline now is you can expect to be uh, PCS active duty for, what, a year and a half, maybe two years, depending on how that looks now, and you'll come back to your unit. You'll 
you'll show up. We'll send you off. See you later. Bye. Two years later, we'll see you. Right. And then you come back as, like you said, as a, as a qualified JTAC, uh, not certified, but qualified. There is a difference. And, and then you'll come home and do your home station training, which then will get you to qualification as a JTAC. However, um, yeah, like, and I'm sure these two could probably chime in at any point, but two years at least, I think, or at most for the training, I don't know. So let's go back to, to squashing this myth that National Guard special operations going to be working part time. Let's go back and talk about you're looking at a two year potential pipeline before you get to your duty station, a year and a half to two years, up to two years. Right. Then you mm-hmm. get to your duty station and I would imagine you're going to deploy or you're going to get pushed to deploy. So you're probably going to do some time training with your unit, taking all the skills that you learned with all the other guys, but then learning how your unit does it, working with your team, and then deploy. So these deployments, and, and we'll go to uh, Senior Airman Coop talk about his recent deployment. These deployments, six, seven months, right? You're deploying with the Army. So these, these deployments are no joke. They're lengthy. You're going to get some work over there. And doing the math on all that, you're looking at three years, roughly, of active duty time before you even have the option to say, you know what, I'm going to do this part-time, National Guard, traditional guardsmen. So there are a lot of opportunities to work full-time. Senior McCoop, would you mind telling us a little bit about how you had your process? You graduated and then got JTAC qualified, and then you went downrange. Tell us a little bit about that, man. Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of... Uh back up once i once i started the whole tacti process um until now um i've only really had about two to three months off where i was in a traditional status now granted this is an anecdotal piece of evidence this isn't going to be for everybody um you may get more you may get less but at least for me um, i had about a two-month break after i became jtech uh qualified and uh and then i went on to uh the deployment after that so um yeah, going into the deployment, it was about eight months, so it takes up a, a, a big portion of that. But uh, like Master and Brock said, if you're if you're motivated, you want to come out. There are essentially endless opportunities for you to stay um, working. I'd say at least three quarters of the year, uh, if not more. Great. Can you tell us a little bit more about your deployment? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I deployed in uh, July of uh, 2020. I got back in February, late February of 2021. So uh, seven, eight months ish. Um, And I went to Afghanistan. So I was deployed uh, to the NATO Special Operations Component Command, Afghanistan, kind of a mouthful, but um, we were operating in a strike cell. So for for new listeners, um, you know, you may see a lot of TACPs, JTACs, working outside, working on the ground, calling in airstrikes, uh, kind of close to the combat. Um, in addition to that, JTACs and TACPs work in what we call strike cells. So you're dislocated from the fight. However, you're still an intimate part of that of that um, kill chain, if you will. So we were controlling aircraft um, from a from a TAC, a tactical operations center. Um, so you're you're not actually seeing it with your own eyes, but you're seeing it through a uh, through uh, like a video downlink. So whatever the aircraft sees is what you're seeing. Um, so I was supporting uh, a few different agencies, uh, one of which was the 75th Range Regiment. Um, there were, uh, so I'll, I'll caveat this with um, the, the the 75th has their own JTACs. They have uh, 17th STS JTACs, and then they have organic Ranger JTACs. Um, I was just fortunate enough to uh, help out in that strike cell um, because there were opportunities to work there. Uh, in addition, there was Green Berets, 
and um, some other NATO special operations guys. So there were some British, some Germans, some Norwegian guys. Uh, but overall, it was a really good experience. Well, that's incredible, Coop. You've been able to work with a lot of different forces uh, as well as integration. And I guess that's a big part about you guys' job is being able to integrate and work with other forces, work with the Army, right? Question for you guys. We've talked about what TACP is. We've talked a little bit about some of you guys' missions, backgrounds. What do you love about being TACP? What's unique about it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, as, as you just said, we get to work with so many different forces. So, you know, coming in and there's, I think there's a preconceived notion for, for, uh, for TACP that you're only going to work with the conventional army or working the, with the conventional army is awesome. Um, but it's also really cool being able to work with the Marine Corps, uh, special operations, Navy, um, and every other group in between, right? Like, uh, I'm on a, I'm on a TDY right now and we're working with some, uh, with some Dutch JTACs. So, you know, you, you get to work with everybody, um, and the, the, the opportunities are endless. So if you think you're going to only be doing one job, just calling in airstrikes, uh, you're wrong. There's, there's just like, there's, there's so many different opportunities from different schools to different TDYs to different deployments um, that it's, it's, you know, no day is the, is the same. That's literally what I was going to lead in with was uh, no day is the same, right? Like it's, there's so many variables to what we do and how we operate, who we work with. Uh, I had a, a philosophy a long time ago that uh, we're, we're expected to, to be anywhere at any time and work with anyone as a TACP. And, uh, and, that's, and that's not to like be arrogant and boost our ego, but it's the reality of the situation. We straight up are like plug and play. Uh, so uh, every day is different. Training is different all the time. You have to be read into a lot of different, uh, I don't know, mission sets, uh, how other teams work, how other services work. Uh, so in, for example, in the Idaho Air National Guard at the 124th ASOS, uh, not only do we focus on our JTAC skills, but we focus on search and rescue skills. We have guys that are avalanche qualified and trained. Uh, we work on uh, just mountaineering, roping, rappelling, because uh, you never know. Like all in, in all of these these modes of transportation that we're that we do to get from point A to point B is just getting us to go do our job. So if we have to learn how to backcountry ski, snowmobile, dirt bike, M razor. Uh, jump into scenarios. Those are all just ways for us to get into wherever we need to go to do our job. And uh, we're fortunate enough at the IDANG to be presented with a lot of those opportunities. So that's why I love being a TACP in the, at the ASOS in, uh, in Idaho. It's because the possibilities are endless. You can literally go do whatever you want. It's great. And for our listeners out there, an important part of choosing the career field that's best for you is the culture of that career field. And one thing I've noticed about the TACP culture is two things. They're gung-ho and they all love comedy, humor. And that's a, that's a big part of the job. And you know what? If you have somebody from a different organization, a different culture, a different branch coming to work with you, there's two ways generally that you can win them over quickly. And that's to be gung-ho and funny. Gung-ho being, oh, you got a task? I'll go do it. Whether it's administrative or a dirty job around the operations center, or whether it be something on the battlefield. Oh, you need to go. I'll go do it. Making guys laugh, positive affirmations, always keeping it positive, keeping it funny, even when it sucks. That's something I've noticed about TACP. Great culture of guys. So let's talk a little bit more about this special warfare transition. TACP was considered somewhat of a conventional force in the past, and there was the opportunity to go soft TACP, and we won't talk about that on this podcast. 
But now TACP is officially categorized in special warfare, which means everything from having certain swim requirements in your entry standards or your currency fitness test and things like gear, better gear, better funding, more opportunities. So let's talk a little bit about that, gentlemen. Yeah, hey, Coop, I'm gonna, or, and Dave, I'm going to step in on this one real quick. Um, and I want to reference the, uh, the, the way ahead for the special warfare aspect war TACP weapon system career field, if I can. So in May of 2020, um, Lieutenant General Kelly uh, signed the, um, the, the vision statement of the 2030 aspect war TACP weapon system. And the whole focus on this, like the vision statement, talks to improved OTNS, which is the organization training and sustainment. And, uh, and then also making TACPs the premier joint all domain precision strike package and that we are going to be the, uh, the priority, I should say priority, but the primary um, use for, you know, the, the, the premier strike package, which is all encompassing from joint fires to close air support uh, and, and, and whatever else. But, um, but it's important to, to, to realize, you know, that this is a direction that we're going in and it has been identified how integral and how, uh, important and necessary we are as TACPs or JTACs in the fight. And, uh, and I'm sure Coop can speak to this as well as I can, but every time I get embedded with another team or another group of individuals, the first thing that or, uh, they, they tell me is, dude, my, my Air Force TACP was dope. That guy was awesome. He crushed it. I never really hear that about other JTACs. I'm just going to throw that out <laughs> to bear a little bit. But, uh, but, uh, but it's, always, it's always been to like, we love having our Air Force TACPs and JTACs. I mean, that's not always the case, but that has been most of the responses that I've gotten. Um, but, um, but it has been identified that we are not only conventional, but that we can operate again with anybody, anywhere, anytime. And that is, uh, and it's been uh, recognized and it's going to start being implemented over the next year, few years so that we meet this 2030 vision signed by uh, Lieutenant General Kelly. Speaking of working with the Army, Master Sergeant Brock, you're a graduate of Army Ranger School. Can you talk a little bit more about that and opportunities to get there as TACP? I was fortunate enough to, this, how, how this happened to, or came to be or whatever, I, I should have walked into work one day and one of, one of, our, uh, one of our fellow uh, TACPs, um, I won't mention his name, but he's sitting there on a computer and first thing in the morning, I'm barely finishing my first cup of coffee. He's like, hey, dude, you want to go to Ranger School? And I was like, Sure. Like whatever, you know, not really taking it seriously at the time, just kind of thinking he was just, you know, just kind of blowing smoke or whatever. And literally two days later, I had an, an ATAR seat selected for me to go to ranger school. And I was like, oh, this is happening. Like I'm going to ranger school. And uh, so um, I had about three or so months, maybe four months to plan and prep and get all my stuff together, uh, which was uh, not enough time, but just enough time, I guess. Uh, whatever, but I ended up going and uh, because that's what TACPs do. They're just like, all right, this, I'm going to own it. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to be resourceful and I'm going to figure out a way to, uh, you know, to, to, to accomplish the goal of the task or whatever it may be. And uh, so I go to, I go to ranger school and, and boy, did I stick out like a sore thumb, like right away. It was very evident that I was the air force and everybody else was the army. But that was for me uh, an opportunity to, uh, to capitalize on that situation. And in a sense, it's like, there's such a bad stigma about Air Force, right? The Chair Force, you know, and uh, and all these folks that just non-operational, you know, they're not tactical, tactically mindset individuals or, or uh, service members. And so that was an opportunity for me to to tell the Army, like, no, like, 
we're we're not you know we're not to be you know uh, uh, taken lightly. We can we can accomplish the mission just as much as you can. So I dedicated honestly uh, every aspect of my physical ability and my mental ability over the next you know sixty two days at Ranger School and RTAC, so the two weeks prior uh, to proving the Army wrong, um, which obviously worked out. Uh, but uh, it was great. Army School or Ranger School was great. It was uh, it was a hell of an experience. Life lessons that I'll, I'll uh, and personal lessons that I'll never ever forget. But um, I encourage uh, anybody uh, to to push the envelope to see what they're capable of, to see how far they can go in their careers, mentally, physically, whatever it is. Test yourselves. How do you know what you're capable of unless you test yourself? And that's and that was kind of my thought process in, in Ranger School was um, I don't know what I'm capable of, but hey, at least I gave this an opportunity and chance and see what's ha- just to see what happens. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate that uh, I had a great uh, company and, and that I was attached to. And, uh, you know, we all helped each other out. And that's that's how it is at Ranger School. The uh, it's one thing I'll never forget is that when you graduate, and you get tabbed with uh, with your Ranger tab. It's not me that earned it. It's everybody there with me that helped me earn this tab. So, yeah, sure, I'm wearing the tab, but I'm only wearing this because of the the guys that worked with me every day, day in and day out to help me earn it. Can we see that tab, man? Get that thing up next to the camera. Yeah, oh, she's beautiful. Yeah, she sure is. All right. Thanks for that, Master Sergeant Brock. Okay, you guys got me convinced. All right. I want to go work with Master Sergeant Brock, Senior Airman Coop, get my Ranger tab, go do some stuff with the 75th Ranger Regiment, be a JTAC. How do I start this process with the 124th? Tech Sergeant Anderson, would you mind giving us um, a little bit of a description on how that works? Yeah, I was just going to jump into that. So things are kind of been evolving a little bit, especially with the new special warfare conversion from tech P basically all the way in. And especially with Air National Guard units, it's a little bit different. Um, and, and I like to say it's a lot better. Uh, reason being is someone like myself, who is a prospective candidate at one time, when I was looking at it, the idea was like you go to an Air Force recruiter, they just get you through MEPS. And then at MEPS, they'll kind of job qualify you. And you can just pick a job that you're qualified for. That is still the basic Air Force um, qualification process. Now, there is an Air Force Special Warfare recruiter to assist in that. But the Guard is so different because you can go to a Guard unit and you can reach out to myself personally and other units across the U.S. And you can say, I'm going to be a TACP and I'm going to be Air Force Special Warfare. And I'll be like, awesome. Let's get you through the MEPS process. The reason being is I want them... I want to make sure they're qualified. And this is for our non-prior service because we do have prior service, but that's a separate recruiting. Um, it's just a little bit different. For non-prior service, I want to make sure they're ment- mentally capable and physically capable. Someone like myself, when I went through MEPS, I had no idea that I had a depth perception issue and would be disqualified from the career field. Well, that is a possibility. So we want to make sure our students and I would say our candidates get through that medical because when they're done with MEPS, everything's tight and they're like, hey, I'm good to go. The best thing about Air National Guard is they have, and me personally, they have no obligation to me or the Idaho Air National Guard to get qualified. So they're fully Air Force qualified, special warfare qualified. At that point, what I'll do is I typically will set up a conversation between somebody at the unit uh, for a non-fire service. I want them to kind of get a feel for what it's going to be like and everything like that. Outside of that, I'm already providing them information on what the past requirements are and making sure that they understand the physical test that they're going to go through prior to even, you know, moving forward. Right. Um, if these individuals are able to pass that past test um, and our unit will set that up with them 
And this is after they have contracted with us in the Idaho Air National Guard. They've said, hey, I'm coming in. I'm going to be a TACP. Um, I do a little vetting on my own, make sure that we understand what's going to happen here. The unit vets a little bit just to make sure they're good to go. Will they join? They'll set up a pass. Typically, that pass will even be on their first drill weekend because they'll actually start going to drills after they contract. You go into your uh, first drill weekend. You do a pass with the unit so you know exactly what their standards are, and they'll, they'll make sure you know. Um, once that's done, there's actually another portion that they have to get through, and that's called the one level. The one level is a unique program that the Air National Guard has for all TACP units. And what they do is the unit itself puts on a physical and mental test. It can be anywhere from two to four days. Um, sometimes it changes. And what they'll do is once you graduate from that uh, one level at the local unit, so that's done here in Boise, Idaho. Once it's done, they'll get your package sent and you will end. And then from there, you'll move forward into Air Force basic training. And then you'll jump right into Air Force Special Warfare Prep. And then from there, you will complete your entire year and a half. I say year and a half to two years because it kind of varies depending on how long it takes to get you to airborne school, SEER school, all those additional schools you have to do. Once you're done, then you'll come back and you'll be an Air National Guard TACP in Idaho. Right. So let's recap on that a little bit. That's a long process. So yeah. <laughs> so I contact Tech Sergeant Anderson with interest of joining the 124. And then mm -hmm. you come back to me with some basic screening. I got to come in and meet you. Got to take an ASVAB, all of those types of things. Once we get through level one of paperwork, you're going to send the candidate off to MEPS to make sure that they medically screen. Is that correct? And then they're going to come back and then do a pass test. And for our listeners out there, the pass test is the physical ability and stamina test. That is a 500 meter swim two by 25 meter underwaters, max pull-ups for two minutes, max push-ups for two minutes, max sit-ups for two minutes, and a 1.5 mile run test. And to digress on that, you actually get as much time as you need for those pull-ups. So that's your past test that Tech Sergeant Anderson is referring to. After you pass the past test, you said there was some vetting that gets done by the unit. Could you talk a little bit more about that vetting? Is that like a little bit of a smoke session slash hay session or interview? <laughs> Master Sergeant Brock, what, what's the vetting? Uh, well, it's, it's a, uh, it's a four day, uh, four ish day, maybe. Yeah. Four ish day. Um, uh, introduction to what the pipeline is like. Uh, it's, it's so this is a tryout. Day. This, this is a tryout guys. It's hundred percent a tryout. Yeah. Okay. So, so you guys are going, you guys are going to put some rucksacks on these guys with some weight in it take them out there. They get to see what it's like to work with you guys a little bit. You get to see how they operate. Tell us a little bit more about this tryout. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a series of rucks. Uh, it's a series of um, like, just like some sleep deprivation, just to kind of like, again, <laughs> introduce you to what it could potentially be like going through the pipeline. It's an educational week, uh, but yes, it's physically demanding and it's mentally stressful because we want to see one, if you're, if you have it already, if you have the right mindset already. Right. And, and I, I want to, I think it's very important to mention mindset because sure you can be as physically capable as possible, but if you don't have the mindset or the mental fortitude to, uh, to push yourself a little bit further every day to tell yourself that I could keep going and to take care of the people that you're working with day in and day out who are also struggling. Like we want to identify all that through this process. Sure, you could be physically fit. You could be the most in-shape person in the world. But if you can't work alongside others, if you can't take care of yourself mentally during this process, then 
potentially this isn't for you. And uh, so, and I'm sure Thomas Coop can speak to his uh, experiences when he went to the one level. I didn't, uh, was I at your one level, Thomas? Y yes, you were, uh, Master Brock. Uh, Master, I had the uh, fortunate opportunity to have uh, Master Brock's cadre for that. And uh, I I'll just say, I think, um, you know, I would argue, I'm sure other guys would argue this too, that when guard guys go down to the schoolhouse in, uh, in Texas, that guard guys are usually top performers. And I would say that's, you know, among many reasons, but one of which is the one level. So it does a really good job preparing guys, kind of giving them, some would say maybe a, a peek behind the curtain. Some guys may not like that term, but, uh, you know, kind of giving you an understanding of what, what, what to expect. Um, and active duty guys just don't get that. Um, so yeah, I'd say the one level program is a phenomenal program and, uh, I think it works out pretty well. Well, that's powerful for our listeners out there. The one level is the four day tryout that they're referring to. And so they get to see what you're made of. And if you have what it takes, they'll send you off to the pipeline and they know that you have what it takes based on that four day trial. And as senior Airman Coop said, they're highly successful in the pipeline coming from this unit. So awesome stuff. Um, going back to the pipeline, I think we were at Texar and Anderson where um, you had shipped out to boot camp and then finished mm -hmm. that. Looks like you have the TACP prep course one week and then TACP school six months at Lackland. After that, you either go to SEER school or Army Airborne school. You will do both, but right now you could get one or the other first. And then after that, you'll go to the TACP FTU, which is in San Antonio, Texas. Get JTAC qualified, all that good stuff. And then you'll come back to the 124th in Boise, Idaho. Is that correct, Texar and Anderson? That is correct. Yeah. You, right now you will be gone the entire time, uh, which we're finding a lot of the students really enjoy. Um, Airman Coop was actually able to do almost that. And he was almost like the original test for that, the very beginning of the entire process, because they used to come back in between schools, but it's a much better pipeline. Now they go the entire time. They're able to focus um, and stay with it. And that's another, I think, a misnomer that I hear all the time from individuals who reach out to me is they're like, hey, is it like the same thing? Like, you know, am I going to actually go through the whole schools? And I'm like, the second you show up in San Antonio, Texas uh, for basic training, there is no difference um, from an active duty guard or reserve. We're actually all the Air Force. We're just reserve components. The difference is where you go. Um, some like myself, Mass Sergeant Brock, and I can definitely say Senior Airman Coop would say it's the best option is to be able to pick where you go, guarantee your AFSC, and guarantee yourself coming back to a unit you already know and the guys you already know and what you're going to be able to do. And that's what the Idaho Air National Guard and the 124th ASOS provides. And Dave, Absolutely. this is in Boise, Idaho. And I've heard, I haven't been there myself. Can't wait to get up there and see you guys in person soon. But tell us a little bit about Boise, Idaho. I've heard it's a pretty cool town, has some good climate there as well. Absolutely. And um, just real quick, no offense here, Jason, but, um, you know, in your experience, I think you took an L to our Boise State Broncos, right? When you were in, uh, at the <laughs> University of Arizona, is that correct? Just to well, first of all, I didn't get to play, and that probably would have made the situation worse for us. So I, I did ride the pines the entire game um, with my helmet off. But, yes, we played Boise State in the Fiesta Bowl. We were ranked 10th in the country. They were ranked 20th in the country. And even though they beat us by two, they really pushed us around the whole game. Man, they had this running wow. back. I, you haven't forgot. Was, 
You know, yeah. his last name was Ajayi. And last, yeah. last time I checked, he was running for the Dolphins. And this dude ran for like 220 yards, just stiff-armed our whole secondary to the end zone every time. So they were a <laughs> tough team. And the fans were mean, too. They had like all the like uh, Oakland Raiders kind of style. You know, they all wore these big helmets and shoulder, uh, shoulder pads, and they had swords. It was, it was a lot of fun. Cool town. And part of the reason I even bring that up is that that just that environment is kind of everywhere in Boise. And that's why people love Boise so much is it is uh, it's such a family environment, but it's also it's outdoorsy. You have so many things that you can go do immediately. Um, and it's kind of funny. Someone like Master Sergeant Brock might be your neighbor. And that's the, another cool thing about the Air National. Oh, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I bother you all the time there. <laughs> yeah and and you know it's it's great because the and i keep i always want to refer to the family because i feel like that is why people and i don't know I, we're trying to there's a a little bit of uh an issue with this is there's so many people moving to boise we're also a little scared of it but i totally get it part of it is they want to bring their families to a family environment and that's exactly what boise is um it's a great i mean it's an unbelievable city you can get anywhere you want to go uh, especially on the West coast. If you're anywhere near us, it's about an hour and a half flight to like the, for, to Los Angeles, for instance, we get a lot of folks, a lot of guys in let's call it the Valley uh, areas and down there, uh, San Clemente, you name it that end up in Idaho and definitely want to come to the 124th ASOS. And then from there you have the great Northwest and in, in Idaho, you know, the state is huge and there's so much to do. So if you like outdoors, if you like going to breweries, you like things like that uh, and also coming to like Boise state. We got all sorts of stuff. Yeah, uh, big just college locally. town. It's, it's great. Big college town. So you got the, you got the family oh. town for the married guys. You got the college town for the single guys that's covered. Check. Right. Right. Coop, Coop could probably jump into that. I'm sure he uh. won't, but yeah. <laughs> Coop, no. you, you got a, you got a new girlfriend from Boise state or what? Uh, no, no comment. <laughs> Roger that. Okay. Tech Sergeant Anderson back to you. When we're talking recruiting, what are some things that you want to see a candidate prepare for before they come see you? So first off, if, if a candidate doesn't know what the pass test is, that's a big showstopper for me. Like, cause that actually happens a lot. Um, but if the first thing I would say is do your research. Um, I always tell people jump on Reddit because you're going to get real dudes talking to you. Go jump on, you know, socalmathlete.com for a little, <laughs> a little, um, uh, pick up there but anyway uh, get on the podcast right right definitely want to have yourself as a student um of and i would say a student because you want to research you want to be ready for what you're going to go into and so understand the past requirements be ready to and i want and for me i would love a student to be ready to and i would say a candidate ready to do the past prior to going to meps i want them to be a solid physical you know athlete ready to go and then when they come to me let's be mentally focused on getting through the ASVAB. So definitely studying for that. Um, you know, and, and also I do the recruiting for the officer candidates as well. So if they're going to be taking the air force officer qualifying test, which is a the mental aptitude for officers, um, if they're going to be doing that, be ready to take that test and then have all your medical history. This is probably the best advice I can give to any candidate for the air force, air national guard and reserve, have your mental or excuse me, have your medical records tight. If you've ever had anything medical done in your entire life, make sure that you show the beginning and end of that and that there's an explanation for it. And so when you come to me, have that ready to go, because you're going to go through an extensive questionnaire on your medical history. 
And I want to make sure that everything is lined out and you have the medical records for it. Because what we'll do is we'll then submit all that to the MEPS and the chief medical officer will review that package. And so if all that's tight, you're a solid candidate. And then from there, what I'll do, especially if they're, let's just say, they come in and they are, they understand past requirements. Their medical looks fantastic. They're ready to do the ASVAB. Depending on that applicant, I will also, especially if they're local, I'll actually bring them to the ASOS. And which is really cool. This is prior to anything. I will let them go and bring them to the ASOS. They'll meet with someone like Mass Sergeant Brock, someone like a senior airman coop. They can ask all their legit questions because recruiters, I don't know if anyone knows this out there. Recruiters sometimes have a bad I would call it bad rap about potentially not giving all the information for certain jobs. So what I like to do personally is bring those candidates to the actual individual that has done that job, ask all those questions. And then I will get you cleared and ready to be air force qualified to go and move forward. No curveballs with tech Sergeant Anderson, all yeah. straight, all straight forward. Just fastballs. Awesome. <laughs> Just all fastballs, 95 mile an hour. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen. Awesome. So when we're talking about this, past test. Let's talk a little bit more about numbers and what you're looking for when these candidates come. So senior Airman Coop, would you mind sharing with us um, kind of what your numbers are at right now, where you want to see these guys and text our Anderson, where you want to see them as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can say from a number is that they're never good enough. Um, and I would, I would pass that on to any potential candidate that uh, if, if, if your goal is to meet the standard, you're wrong. Uh, you need to absolutely exceed the standard. And I'm sure I'm repeating uh, much of what's been said on this podcast before, but um, you know, no, if hey, the, man, they, they need to hear it. It's, it's, yeah. been, it's been said by just about every guest. So they should pay yep. attention to that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the, with the new past standards, but let's say that, you know, the push-up standard is 55. Uh, you know, you need to be aiming, aiming for, you know, minimum 65, 70. Um, and then you basically, after you just, you know, sprint a mile and a half, get your, uh, get your proper smoke session, uh, you should be able to meet that standard. No problem. Um, so that's why I say exceed the standard. Um, when, when a potential candidate comes in, if there's issues with, you know, pushups or pull-ups or running or whatever, uh, we're willing to work with you on that, but we need to see, you know, motivation from the candidate as well. Right. And form, form, form. That's That's so, so important. And you, you see, especially at these hell day events or even the, the 20th group SFREs, these trials, you see these awesome athletes come out that that clearly have put in a ton of work physically, but their pushup form is awful. They're not breaking the 90 degree plane or they're not locking out or they're going in the lean and rest position when they were literally brief that air force spec war standards does not allow a lean and rest, which is a flat back, right? Or maybe the pull-ups, they're not getting up high enough or they're kipping or whatever it is. That's what we see is the biggest problem. So yes, numbers are important, but if you don't have proper form for our listeners out there, you're, you're not going to get the op- opportunity to do these jobs. It's a major attention to detail requirement. So what are your thoughts on that, Master Sergeant Brock? No, attention to detail is absolutely key. Uh, so you're given a very... Um, structured uh, instruction does that, does that make sense yeah it, it's very detailed i should say very detailed but they're very simple instructions lock out your back you know dead hang pull-ups get your chin over the bar uh you know like and the, it's all laid out for you to um to one create a standard for everybody across the board but two like it's to also evaluate you on your ability to follow simple instructions 
We don't care that you can do 150 push-ups. We don't care that you can run a mile or running is, is, is probably a terrible example, but like the sit-ups, the push-ups, the pull-ups, we don't care exactly how many you can do. Sure. We want you to, to be able to, to do as many as you can, but we want you to pay attention and focus on the simple instructions, the proper form, and that you have the ability to uh, read and comprehend and execute. Right. So, or listen, comprehend, execute. Uh, so that's, that's the biggest takeaway. And if you're having a problem with your form, if you're having a problem with what's a right push-up, what's a right sit-up or a right pull-up, going, going to recruiters like uh, Sergeant Anderson, coming to, to an ASOS and, and visiting with, with Airman Coops and, and Master Brock's type guys and asking those questions, I have no problem going through the form. Right. And so this is what's great about uh, being able to reach out to a recruiter, being able to reach out to to uh, somebody in the career field and pipeline that's been through it all is asking the questions, getting that feedback so that you can train and prepare yourself to execute perfectly as opposed to like it's all about it's sometimes it's about uh, quality and not quantity. Right. And I think guys forget that. Well said. So, gentlemen, I want to try out for this unit. How do I get a hold of you guys? What's the next step? Who do I talk to? And I'll jump in here being uh, kind of on the sales side of this, this operation. But uh, basically, uh, I actually right now, I want all candidates to reach out to me personally. And the easiest way to do that is through Instagram, specwarfare underscore Idaho. Um, and I will DM right back. And what I'll do is I actually hand out my, uh, I have my personal work cell and I give out my personal work cell and they can reach out and they can ask as many questions as they want. Um, I'll definitely give that out to the students this evening. Um, but, you know, at specwarfare underscore Idaho is uh, the Instagram account. And then from there, you know, we can start going through what the requirements really are. Um, you know, and even right now, um, I'm open to talking about officer opportunities as well as enlisted uh, opportunities. And, you know, the some things I want to give a shout out to real quick is, there are so many candidates that come from all over. And so if you're a candidate that's like, oh man, I have a, for instance, let's just say you're a candidate and you are a litigator, you're a lawyer right now. And you're like, man, but I really want to do this. Um, there are ways to get that done. There's actually a, a lawyer in Idaho right now. He is a part, he's already passed the one level for us as an enlisted um, individual. Now this guy has what, I don't know, seven, eight years of school, all these things done. And he's a lawyer, but he's going through the process. So there's a lot of guys out there that think, oh man, it's, I'm past my due. I already graduated college. I'm working. There are ways to get it done. And then for your younger students, just reach out directly, ask questions because they have a lot of time to get prepared for this. So um, Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. And then from there, uh, depending on the level of candidate, I will actually get you in contact with someone like a Master Sergeant Brock or Senior Airman Coop. Great. And Tech Sergeant Anderson, for um, those of us that uh, don't have Instagram accounts, What's a good email address to get a hold of you guys on? Yeah, so for me, a, a great email is david.anderson.87 at us.af.mil. Um, and Anderson is O-N. And uh, that's probably the best way to do it. That is my work, work email. And for our listeners out there, we'll have that posted up on the caption as well. So you can easily get a hold of him again for your call to action, Instagram spec warfare underscore Idaho. And you can also get a hold of master Sergeant Brock on Instagram at Douglas underscore Brock, hit him up, check out his mustache, ask him about tag piece. <laughs> it's not there no more. I had to get rid of it. It'll come back. It'll come back. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time on this interview Next, we're going to get on with SOCOM Athlete students for some live Q&A. Appreciate your time. Thanks, bud. All right, team. We are here with Tech Sergeant Anderson. 
Master Sergeant Douglas Brock and Senior Airman Coop. And these are TACP operators out of the 124th ASOS. Tech Sergeant Anderson is a recruiter out of the 124th ASOS. And this is a National Guard TACP unit out of Boise, Idaho. And all three of these guys pretty much work full-time right now. They're always on orders. They're always doing something. Senior Airman Coop recently had a really cool deployment in Afghanistan where he got to work with uh, multiple special operations agencies, um, Master Sergeant Brock has been in the Air Force over 18 years, has had some really cool opportunities throughout his career, including multiple combat deployments, as well as recently graduating Army Ranger School. So we've got Tech Sergeant Anderson on here as well, just to answer any type of recruiting-based questions, as you guys get, have so many of those types of questions. And as an operator, uh, or as a former operator myself, it's not my job to know those types of advanced recruiting questions. As I get the questions like, what's the, what's the max age for Air Force Special Warfare and things like that? Of course, I'm going to write those down. The max age is 39. Of course, you can get a waiver for that. But some of these more complex questions, um, maybe we can tackle some of those today, such as a, a question about ADHD medications and, and, and being, a, being off of those for at least a year um, is what doctors like to see. Uh, qualifying, disqualifying at MEPS, all of those kinds of things, guys. So again, thank you so much to the 124th for coming on, guys. How are you? Master Sergeant Brock, why don't you get us started? All right. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good evening. Uh, I don't know where you all are at, but uh, appreciate you guys chiming in, listening to what uh, we have to say and provide. You know, be open uh, with your questions. Uh, realize that uh, we were spanning between, uh, you know, nearly 20, I don't know how many years Sergeant Anderson has in, but uh, about what, 18 years as well? Six years, seven years? I can't do that. 13. 13. 13 years. I got 18 <laughs> years. Uh, Airman Coop's got uh, about what, three or four years in-ish. So you got uh, you got a combined years, you know, you know just over 40 years, right? Uh, so, um, or near 40 years. So uh, a lot of experience here um, and, and use us uh, however you want over the next hour, hour, and 15 minutes. But uh, thanks again for being here and, and uh, fielding your questions to us. Thank you, Master Sergeant Brock. Tech Sergeant Anderson, go ahead, brother. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, guys, for uh, for coming out and jumping on with us. This is uh, this is pretty awesome. We don't always get an opportunity to talk directly to a ton of very dedicated candidates, and I know all you are. And, uh, you know, one thing that um, I bring to the table, which is really important, and it's coming from experience, because when I first joined the Idaho Air National Guard, um, I came in and I was looking to become a TACP. And unfortunately, going through the MEPS process, I ended up becoming disqualified for an eye issue. So uh, if you have any questions on disqualifications and things like that, I can definitely help you through it. Um, it is very important, the medical side, to make sure everything's tight and ready to roll when you guys are getting um, planning on going to MEPS. So anyway, any of those questions, recruiting related, you know, um, just give you a little background. Air National Guard recruiting uh, for TACP is pretty difficult. Um, it's a little more difficult than going through the active duty side because you do have to pass the one level. So if you guys want to ask some questions on that, um, we can go ahead and break down what that looks like and uh, how to get selected. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Senior Airman Coop. Um, I can speak to the MEPS process uh, with Sergeant Anderson because he helped me get through a shoulder waiver that took the better part of a year. So uh, <laughs> definitely definitely a uh, kind of a, a pain in the ass sometimes, but, um, you know, unfortunately a part of the process. So, yeah, feel free to shoot whatever questions you have. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and go with our first question. Looks like we got one from Garrett. Go ahead and come off mute. Ask your question, my man. I appreciate y'all coming out and helping us. So I got a question. I'm, I'm actually looking to join the 124th. 
Uh, I'll be moving up to Idaho sometime this summer from uh, Clovis, Mexico. But uh, my first question would be, uh, like, how can I, uh, like, prepare my mind to not only, like, uh, for the mental agility, but to be more of a teammate during, uh, like, the pipeline or the one course or anything like that? How do we want to approach answering these questions? Do you just want to chime in and just send it? Or, uh, Coop, you got something? You want me to leave this off or what? Uh, send you it. You got it, Zarmrock. Dude, I think that's a, that's a fair and honest question. So, um, you know, a lot of people uh, neglect mental stability, mental fortitude, mental toughness, right? They, they always think that physical ability is far more important or they just completely disregard uh, mental uh, fortitude. Um, so, you're – Going into anything, and this is just maybe a lesson for life for that matter, but going into anything, especially like the TACP pipeline or, or any incredibly stressful environment, you have to go in with the mindset that you are capable and you're able, right? You have to trust in your tools, trust in your resources, trust in your teammates, but then also like remind yourself that, um, that the human body and the human mind can do a lot more than you think. Uh, so <clears throat> you're going to hit a breaking point. You are. I did. Senior McCoop has, and I'm sure even Sergeant Anderson has at certain points in his life, maybe not in professionally, but you know, like in any other capacity, we all had a breaking point, but it's your mental toughness. It's your fortitude that keeps you going, keeps you moving, takes one step further. Right. Uh, so as a perfect example, going through ranger school and I'm, I'm probably going to relay or relate a lot of my answers to my experiences at ranger school because my mental toughness was tested and exhausted every day. Everything that you do in your military career, doesn't matter what it is, it's all one event at a time from putting on your boots to putting on your pants to getting in, you know, out of bed or whatever the case would be. All of that is one event at a time. So if you can compartmentalize everything that you're doing and break it down to one single event, just get, one, just get through one event at a time. That's all it is. Go on to the next event. Go on to the next event. Right. So just focus on one event at a time. When it comes to dealing with teammates, uh, you know, one, be a good follower because at one point in time, you know, you're going to be leading and people are going to be following you and you're going to expect the exact same response out of them that you would give to them. Right. So being a good leader is also being a good follower. Uh, when it's your time to lead, it's your time to lead. When it's your time to follow, follow. That would be my advice to that. Great. Senior and Coop, got anything to add to that, brother? I don't. My son brought kill that one. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Let's go ahead and go with our next question. Looks like we got one from Dax. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I'm really grateful for you guys to be here. Um, just really appreciate the chance to learn from all of you. Uh, so I was curious about how uh, you felt Ranger School helped to prepare you or familiarize you um, for your uh, role embedded with other units, especially like an infantry unit, for instance. So I'm trying to cage my brain around the million of thoughts that just, you know, you know, just uh, swarmed in my brain. Um, so Ranger School was great for a lot of different things, uh, but, but what obviously Air Force, right? So uh, my whole career has been Air Force from active duty to the Air Force Reserves to now the Air National Guard. So I've seen it all from the Air Force perspective. And I've never really worked with the Army until um, I became a TACP. And then I started learning about the Army culture, the Army way of life, and, and how they operate, how they function, how they work together. Um, but uh, going through Ranger School, which is the premier leadership school in the United States military, and all of the military, it's, it is the premier leadership school. Of course, I'm completely biased when I say that because I went through it. 
But um, Army, the Army Leadership School, Ranger School, teaches you, you know, troop leading procedures. It teaches you structure, teach you organization. It teaches you to take care of men, weapons, and equipment. And those are things that I understood the philosophy of prior to Ranger School, but it really didn't make sense until I went through Ranger School. And how does that apply to what I do now? Now, as an E7 working at a brigade level, I understand the Army. I can work with the Army better. I can speak Army lingo. Uh, you know, and that's, and that's a big portion of aspect of what we do as a TACP is being able to convert Air Force lingo to Army lingo and then back and forth, right? So we're that liaison, we're that conduit of information between the two services. But now I have that understanding of that general knowledge that helps me relate better with the Army uh, and relates, you know, uh, and understands work ethics a little bit differently, a little bit more better. Uh, but that also applies to working with uh, Marines and Navy units as well. All of that is fun, fundamental, uh, fundamental uh, foundational concepts, if you will. And if you can apply that same methodology um, to all the branches of the service, the better you will, the more respected uh, uh, you'll be. So um, just, just understanding how other services and other branches work you have an edge on just about anybody else. Like it's, it's a huge deal. So I highly encourage anybody, even if you don't end up going this route and you go a different route, go to a joint uh, professional military ed education school, go to a joint training class or to a joint exercise and learn how other units work. I'm going to tell you right now, the vision and the future of the United States military, the DOD is all about joint dominance, joint integration. And I'm telling you it's a real thing. So start learning about these other services. It'll help you in the long run. Thanks, man. Thank you. Uh, great answer. Very, very clear. Thank you. You bet. Got anything to add to that, gentlemen? Or did he nail that one oh, again? <laughs> another another <laughs> mic drop. it's not my first rodeo. I've done this. <laughs> another <laughs> mic drop by Doug. All right, team. Looks like uh, our next question is from McPherson. Go ahead. First off, thank you guys for giving us this opportunity to learn and get better. Uh, my question is about physical fitness. So my upper body strength, my push-ups, my sit-ups, and my pull-ups are all pretty good. Where I have trouble is running, and I'm okay at swimming, but my whole treading part in the water I have trouble with. How would you guys recommend getting better or going to that next step? Oops, send it. Yeah. Um, so running, man. Um I would just say do, do not neglect anything aerobic or anaerobic. So I'm sure that the SOCOM guys have you guys set up pretty well with uh, training plans and whatnot. But, um, you know, do your, do your short distance stuff. So, you know, get out there, do like eight, 400-meter sprints, but then also do, you know, be comfortable running up to like six miles. Um, you know, I think for another discussion, we could talk, we could break it down a little bit more individually, but uh, kind of broad stroke, just make sure you're hitting all domains when it comes to running or, you know, cross the Metcon style stuff or, you know, real long rucks, real long runs, stuff like that. Um, touching on the, on the swimming, um, when I went through the schoolhouse, I guess before the schoolhouse, I went to what is now known as Special Warfare Prep, which all of you non-prior service guys will go to uh, when I went through is Battlefield Airman Prep. Um, you know, day one, the, the PJ cadre and the CCT cadre said, who's here, who here is a TACP candidate? So I raised my hand and they're like, did you guys join because uh, you, th you thought you wouldn't have to swim? And uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, um, because you know, we're, we're kind of a knuckle dragon type of uh, individuals, but, um, 
you know, long story short, they threw us in the water. Um, and it's, it's, it's the great equalizer. So, you know, you're not going to be alone when, uh, when maybe it sucks sometimes, but, um, just get comfortable in the water, uh, with the treading piece. I wouldn't say I have any advice other than, you know, it just clicked one day. I know that's not a great answer, but, um, I think, uh, the overarching theme is that reps matter. So, you know, the, the more time you get in there, um, the easier it's going to get. And then, you know, as we talked earlier on the podcast, it's going to come out tomorrow or, or, or whenever, um, that the, the quality needs to be there as well. So yes, you're getting that time and you're getting those reps, whether it's pushups, pull-ups, running, swimming, uh, that's great, but, uh, make sure, you, you know, the quality is there because, uh, when you're, when you're, when you're fatigued, when you're taxed, you're going to fall to that lowest level of training. And if your lowest level of training is perfect, perfection, perfect reps, um, then that's when you're going to fall to. So hope that answers your question. If you need more clarification, let me know. No, that's good. Thank you. Great insight, Coop. Uh, To add a little bit on that, when it comes to treading, first thing that you need to work on is your egg beater kick. All right. And understand that when you are doing work in the pool, you are going to be significantly less buoyant when, than when you are doing work out in the open water, if it's salt water, of course. Okay. Now, in addition to that, at the special warfare prep course and operationally, even at combat dive school, of course, you're going to be using fins. And the way that you tread water with fins utilizes an entirely different muscle group. It's as if you're doing flutter kicks, but you have these rigid long fins with you rocket fins slash jet fins. Okay. So those muscle groups that are involved, your abductors, your rectus femoris, hip flexors are not nearly the same muscle groups that are involved when you're doing the egg beater kick. So the egg beater kick involves counterclockwise and clockwise rotation. But the most important thing you need to know is your legs are rotating inwards. So it's almost like when you were a kid and you tried to make these little whirlpool or make a little whirlpool in your, in your cup of water, right? You start stirring that thing around and it starts rolling. Well, that's what each of your legs are doing. And there's a little acronym that I like to use whenever I'm teaching treading water. And the acronym is SAFE, slow, easy movements, apply natural buoyancy, full lung inflation, extreme relaxation. Got that from the United States Marine Corps Reconnaissance Training Company schoolhouse down there. It's a great acronym. So get big in the water, work on getting a big breath of air. The more air you have in your lungs, the more buoyant you're going to be. Sit back a little bit and make sure you're driving, not kicking like a soccer ball with your knee, but you're driving using your glutes. Okay. That's my biggest piece of advice for you. Hope that helps. Thank you. Yeah, Jason, I'm going to add in right there, kind of piggyback of what you just said. I'll try to minimize the back and forth, but um, what it really helped me, what what helped a lot of other guys was practicing on on dry land. So, um, you know, dive school is not part of the TACP pipeline. Uh, Hopefully it will be here in the future, but um, the dry land training was super helpful. So whether you're doing uh, like a mask and snorkel recovery or uh, uh, an egg beater, if you're practicing on the land, it'll help you translate it into the water. And it's a little bit of a safer environment, right? You can take your time. You have all the oxygen in the world, literally. Um, so, uh, that'll really help. Um, and then to, uh, kind of give my anecdotal piece, uh, once I learned to inflate my lungs, when I was, um, doing the egg beater, it helped tremendously. So that's some really solid advice. Thanks Coop. And gentlemen, it's extremely important 
to be proficient in the water, especially when you're looking at service to service integration and working with other organizations. They want to know that whatever their capabilities are, you can essentially hang with them on that mission. Not only that, anytime you're in aircraft, you are going to be traveling over the water. So you don't want to be a liability in the water. Want to be solid, whether it's just getting out there and getting efficient, establishing your buoyancy a little bit, and just learning some basic swim techniques, or whether it's actual water confidence training, we highly recommend that you get out there. Water confidence builds land confidence. Okay, let's go ahead and go to our next question. Looks like we got Mauricio. How you doing, man? Hey, Mr. Street. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Had a great podcast today. I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. What's your question, big guy? Yeah, uh, well, right off the bat, I would like, if possible, for the recruiters to drop in their phone numbers in the group chat. I got a couple of questions for you that you just don't have the answers to. Probably you're going to need your computer or something like that or whoever works okay. alongside you. And um, Mauricio, I'm going to have, we'll have Tech Sergeant Anderson drop his phone number, okay? That, that'll be a question for him. And if it's a training-based question, pipeline-based question, operational type of question, okay, we'll uh, we'll put that over to Master Sergeant Brock or Senior and Senior and Coop. How's that sound, bud? Perfect. Uh, I do have a side question. I think I recently slightly tore my left abductor, so I'm just wondering, in your experience, in everyone's experience, if they've had that happen, how long does that take to heal? I've been off for two weeks, just doing minimal work, but yeah. Anyone got something to say about that? We'll really appreciate it. Well, I'm not a doctor, um, so that's going to be hard for me. But, uh, you know, we've all injured ourselves in some capacity or not, Um, whether it's shoulders or knees. I mean, I've had two knee surgeries over the years, but uh, uh, completely unrelated to TACP, by the way. But um, nonetheless, like, dude, I I don't know how to answer that question, but rest is probably your biggest friend. Um, you don't want to keep training on an injury because you're just going to prolong that injury and you're going to inevitably delay your entry into the service. So, uh, see a doctor, number one, number two, like be very patient in your recovery and be very smart about your recovery and think about what your end goal is. So you don't want to prolong and delay anything. So dude, uh, I, I mean, Mauricio, I don't know how old you are. You look like a very young man. You've got nothing but time. So I would just be cool and uh, not force anything Not you know, don't, don't stress yourself out about anything. Mauricio, when you say your abductor, are you referring to your inner leg up in your groin area? Yes, indeed. And it's pretty sucky. Right, right. So you're looking, you're looking at a couple months to recover from that, but there's obviously some variables that are in play and those variables are entirely dictated on how much you're using it and how much physical therapy that you're doing. And of course, how fast your body recovers. I mean, you're young, just like uh, Master Sergeant Brock said, so you should recover fairly quickly, but you need to rest that for now and, and get out in the water a little bit and move that around. But no strenuous physical activity, my man. Yes, sir. Master Sergeant, or excuse me, Tech Sergeant Anderson went ahead and put his phone number up in the chat. Were you able to get that, Mauricio? taking a screenshot now thank you all right sounds absolutely cool. as as weaver said the rice acronym rest ice compression elevation okay yes, sir. let's go ahead and go with our next question looks like we got zanes go ahead and come off mute and ask your question all right yeah so i was kind of wondering what are the some of the main differences between national guard 
and active duty with pipeline? And then also, is there pros and cons to either? Yeah, I can, I'll jump in here really quick, Sergeant Brock and, uh, and Aaron Coop. So the, the difference in the pipeline is one, um, well, it's actually two pretty simple things. One is to become an Air National Guard Tech P, you actually get a guaranteed contract. Um, you would not sign a 9T contract that would go into an evaluation stage at Special Warfare Prep. You would sign with me as a Tech P for the Idaho Air National Guard or another Air National Guard unit. So the contract itself has your AFSC on it and you're going to be a tech P that's probably the biggest difference. Second one. And uh, we actually discussed this on the podcast a tiny bit. It can be a little bit more difficult to actually go through an air national guard process because you will be vetted by the unit. And when I say vetted, they will put you through a one level program that they have designed. And you know, that, that program is extremely challenging mentally uh, as well as physically, but probably more so mentally. Um, I mean, the physical is pretty rough as well. Uh, but you will have to get through that. Um, that portion of, I would still call it in the pipeline, would be um, sometime after you contract. And after you contract, you'll go to a past. And if you pass that past, they will basically put you into the one level. Um, some units have about four a year. Some are more like two. It just really depends. And then after that, once you graduate that one level, the pipeline is the exact same as active duty. So Air National Guard, Reserve, Air Force, the entire pipeline is the exact same the entire way. All right. Thank you. So as he said, the pipeline is exactly the same, um, but you do have to try out for that unit in particular, doing the one level for our listeners out there. They pick you up after that interview process. You pass your pass test. You're good to go. You do well on the ruck out there. They send you on off to boot camp if you're a civilian or if you are active duty or prior service, do they, give, do they go to the special warfare prep course right now, Sergeant Anderson? As far as the most up-to-date information I have is they will be added to special warfare prep if they are not from another special warfare um, AFSC, which is our specialty code for the jobs. So yes, the most up-to-date info that I have. And, and to caveat off of that, regardless of your prior service or not, you will still go through a one level at our squadron on Gallon in Idaho. We still want to know that you are capable of wearing the black beret and doing the job. Great. All right, let's go ahead and go to our next question. Looks like we got Yuri. Go ahead and come off mute. Ask your question. How you doing, Yuri? Not much. How are you? How are you holding up? But overall, my overall question to the to the TACP operators, basically, what what are your thoughts on the new changes for the TACP? Be because it's like I know before they they didn't, they used to at point in time didn't have a swimming portion of it, but now I went. I recently went to a North Carolina Tech P unit, and they basically did say that they recently added this the 500 meter swim portion course, and and I'm just wondering on any other future implementation on the training pipeline for the future of tech. Great question, Yuri. Yeah. What do you What are you guys' thoughts on that? Right, because typically, as we talked about in the podcast, Tech P is more of a land based career field, uh, knuckle draggers, as Coop said. And now you guys have to be amphibious, for lack of better words, get out there in the water. So, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with this one real quick, or swim with this one, however you want to look at it. But um, <laughs> so um, there have been a lot of changes to the TAC B career field, right? We've changed our AFSC from a one Charlie to a one Zulu, um, and we now fall in or underneath the aspect warfare uh, uh, group, if you will. Uh, and the reason behind that 
in a lack of, uh, you know, fewer or in few words is that like our ability to cross pollinate or integrate with other services, other AFSCs at our level is uh, instrumental to the success of the career field or to the success of the military. And, and what, what you need to realize one the swim is now officially part of the pass test, right? You have to do 225 meter underwater swims and a 500 meter surface swim. That is a requirement for the pass test as of January of this year. Um, but uh, something to take away from this is that, and I mentioned this on the podcast, so if you guys all listen to the podcast, you'll hear this again, is that whether it's swimming, whether it's vehicles, whether it's airborne, whether it's uh, in a snowmobiling, backcountry skiing, I don't care what it is. Those are just modes of transportation to get from point A to point B to go allow us to do our jobs, right? So we have to be multifaceted, multi-capable for any insertion that we have to go do our jobs. Uh, if you look in the future on uh, who our peer enemies are, our near peer, if you will, um, you know, we're going to go over water. We're going to go, um, you know, it, it, possibilities around this. Like the, the way we get into the fight is um, – is just one aspect of the job. So we have to be uh, incredibly uh, capable and incredibly able um, to just get from point A to point B, whatever that is. So, um, so yeah, the swim, although it's new, but that's the direction we're going in. The whole career field and the aspect warfare community is changing. It's just a change that we have to adapt to. And this is what we're doing now. All right. Well, thank you very much. And right now, it's like I'm currently selling into my reserve unit. But when I do make the when I do make the pull of the trick, I'm definitely going to put in the application and all that. Since I'm pretty much going through a transition from active duty to the reserves, so I'm kind of using it as a backdoor approach to, to ultimately get to tech being and all that. But thank you for answering my question. You bet. Good luck, buddy. All right. Great question, Yori. And for our listeners out there, to caveat a little bit on some of the pipeline changes, the FTU, which I believe stands for, is that field training unit? Formal training unit. Formal training unit. So this is, what, about six months down at San Antonio, right? And so now you're getting your upgrade level training before you go to your permanent duty station. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you'll come out as a, uh, as a certified, not qualified, JTAC. So there is a difference. What's the difference? Oh, good. Now we have to get into the J-Pub here. Uh, <laughs> four, four months uh, so at yep. FTU, by the way, just to, to go back on that. Four months at FTU, I have written down here. But, yeah. but please continue. So you'll, you'll come out as a qualified, not certified. I, I knew back up there. So qualified meaning um, you, you have earned your, or your certification, a certified JTAC. I get these mixed up all the time. You'll come out with a certification, but not a qualification, meaning that when you get to your home station unit, we'll put you through local training at the unit, You'll go through what's called MQT or mission qualification training. And, uh, and then after that, you will get your JTAC qualification. And that is what grants you the weapons release authority from the DOD. Okay. Let's go ahead and go to our next question. Looks like we got Slater. Go ahead and come off mute and ask your question, man. Uh, so what was the best leadership that you've seen or admired the most as you were training as candidates going through the TAC-D pipeline? Coop, you got anything? The best leadership? 
I had a particular uh, team lead, won't name his name, uh, an officer type, uh, but he was a, uh, a cross trainee from another career field. Um, and he just, he just knew how to communicate with the cadre. He knew how to communicate with his men. Um, he understood how to be a good leader and understood when he needed to be a follower, as, as Master Brock said. Um, I, I won't really go into specific details, but um, I learned a lot from him, um, kind of understanding like when to ease off your guys and when to, when to push them a little more. I remember we got out of our, our second field iteration um, and you're in a good mood, right? The, the, the second field um, in the tactical schoolhouse tends to be the hardest. It tends to be the, uh, uh, have the highest attrition rate. So when we, when we all got out, we were in a pretty good mood and uh, we went into some combatives training and uh, guys were kind of, you know, messing around, not really paying attention. And he kind of, uh, you know, laid down the hammer on us and let us know like, Hey, we are still many months away from graduating. Um, you guys need to, you guys need to dial in and, uh, really focus up. So, um, you know, shout out to that, that officer. If he, if he's listening, uh, he'll, he'll know who he is. And, uh, to, to piggyback on that answer from Aaron Coop is, uh, you know, I, 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 I've been in 18 and a half years. I've seen letter, uh, leadership from all ends of the spectrum, good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, but my advice on leadership is if you are in a position to uh, provide uh, guidance, be very clear, concise, right, on your guidance, but give tasks, give conditions, and give standards, and then follow up with everything that you delegated. So uh, through the pipeline or any training that you go through, if you're in a leadership position, constantly be putting out information, communicate to your to your fellow teammates, what is going on, what your expectations are and follow up with them as much as possible to make sure one, they're getting the job done. And two, that like you're checking in on them. Right. So, or her. So just keep that, that mindset uh, or keep those thoughts in the back of your mind. All right. Thanks. Master Sergeant Brock. Let's go ahead and go with our next question. Looks like we got one from Dominic. Hey, how's it going? So uh, my question was, how did your mentality change? when you were going through the pipeline. So when you were like completing the evolutions, how did, how did your mindset change through like repetition and, you know, going through the, going through the motions? Coop, you got anything? I would just say, you know, uh, you probably heard it many times, but um, some guys use, uh, they'll use little waypoints throughout. So whether it's to the next meal or the, to the next train iteration, um, you want to keep your, your goals small. So some guys use like a five, 10, 25 meter goal or, a, you know, a 100, 200,000, whatever, right. You have three, three phases. So when you're in training, I would highly recommend you make uh, small goals, right? So, okay. You wake up. What's the first train iteration? Oh, it's a smoke session in the pits. Cool. What's after that? Some academics. What's after that? Uh, lunch, right? So make it, make it to lunch, make it to the next trade iteration. Uh, if you want to get uh, real, real simple with it, when you're on a ruck, pick out a landmark that you can see. So whether it's a telephone pole, a tree, a rock, whatever, uh, pick it out. Be like, I'm going to make it to there, and then I'm going to keep going. I'm going to make it to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Um, I hope that answers your question. If I understood it correctly, uh, Sergeant Brock, feel free to jump in. Oh yeah. So when when I, when I went through the pipeline, uh, when I started the pipeline, the, like the first few weeks they were a smoke show for me. Like I was struggling. I'm not going to lie. Like I was having a hard time. Um, but you know, you kind of get used to the beat downs. You get, you get used to the smoke sessions. You get used to what's coming. You just kind of handle it. I'm not going to say it gets easier, but you start understanding like, 
okay, I can make it through. I've made it this far. I can make it through this stuff. This isn't impossible. Yeah, it sucks, but I can do this. I can handle it. I've already proven myself the last three or four weeks, whatever the case may be. And you just get used to it. Your body just adapts, your mind adapts, and then you just keep pushing through. So, and to, to Aaron Coop's uh, point, like a hundred percent, and I can't say this enough, have those goals in mind. Your, your five meter, 25 meter, 200 meter goals. Those are huge. So your 200 meter goal is to graduate the pipeline. Right. And then all of your other little goals in between that help you achieve that 200 meter goal. So establish those, uh, those goals or those roadmaps, if you will, they're, they're, they make all the difference in the world. And team to translate a little bit, because we, we speak in acronyms quite a bit in the military. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Master Sergeant Brock and Senior Emma Coop, but when you guys are talking about 200-meter goals, 25-meter goals, you guys are uh, speaking an analogy um, yeah. based on a shooting yes. range, right? So you're talking about your, your 10-meter target, your 50-meter target, your 200-meter target being you got to take care of those immediate targets in front of you first, hit those targets, and then focus on those larger targets once you've hit the short ones. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. That is that is one way to uh, to skin that cat. But for me, when I learned it, it was uh, scanning for IEDs. So I have a former background in, in doing line haul and convoys, right? So whenever we stopped on the road and exited our vehicles, we actually did what was called the zero five twenty five two hundred. So your zero meter is you're looking right where you're going to step. You're going to check and scan that area to see if there's any IEDs or any danger areas, right? And then you're going to look five meters out. And you're going to scan again, and then you're going to look at twenty five meters, scan again and then 200 meters down the road. So that was, that was how I was introduced to uh, 0, 0, 5, 25, 200. Uh, but again, like there's a hundred different ways you could skin that cat, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And then to, um, to caveat on that just a little bit, the term that I've heard thrown around is actually called segmenting for our listeners out there where you're taking one step at a time, little steps, segmenting, taking care of step A before step B before step C and D and every operator I've ever talked to, said that that's how they approach the pipeline. And that's the successful mindset. And to go back on whoever's question um, we had before, that strong mindset for the pipeline, there, there you go. Let's go ahead and go with our next question. Looks like we got Christian. Go ahead and come off mute. Ask your question, my man. Hello, can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right, awesome. So I'm not very familiar with the TACP pipeline. I've never really looked into it. Um, but from the little I do know, I do know that they are attached to Army units, and I know the Army does a lot of rucking. As far as the TACP pipeline is concerned, how much emphasis is there placed on rucking? And also, what are the types of mission sets that TACPs are, you know, for the units that they're attached to for the Army? Like, what are the mission sets normally uh, for those units, and what's what's kind of the, the end goal or just... Again, I'm not very familiar with the TACP pipeline or TACP job in general. So if there's anything you guys can add to that and answer for me, that'd be awesome. Sorry, Brock, do you want to tag team this one? Yeah. Do you want to, you want to talk about rucking and, and the importance yeah. behind that? Okay. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, so rucking, I'd say, you know, TACPs are known for the rucking, right? You're going to hear tons of jokes about, you know, how bad our backs are and whatnot. Like pretty much every career field that you go into, you're going to rock, whether you're in the army, the Marines, uh, any of the other Air Force special warfare, you're going to rock. Um, but TACPs really take it, take it serious. Um, graduation standard at the schoolhouse when I left was uh, 20K, so 12.6 miles, I believe. Um, at dry, it was about 65 plus all the other stuff. It came out to about 105 uh, with water and all the other um required items that you had to pack out. So 
that may seem daunting and, and to tie that back into the 200 meter goal, that's your 200 meter goal, but your five meter goal is, you know, a four mile ruck at 35 pounds dry, uh, which is, which is, uh, which is doable. So, um, rucking, you're going to be rucking throughout the pipeline. Uh, they're going to progressively build you up. They're not going to just throw you in the deep end, um, and say, Hey, go, go, um, accomplish this, this super arduous task. Um, I would focus on rucking. However, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't make it your goal. Some people will say, don't ruck to train, train to ruck. Um, so I wouldn't ruck more than once a week. This is my personal preference. Um, and I wouldn't go over probably like six to eight, eight miles max. Uh, it's just pretty detrimental to your body. Um, and it's a, it, it takes a while to recover. Now it's not saying don't practice it. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with all those, uh, those comments by Aaron Coop. I uh, just realized that every day at the schoolhouse at the Tacky schoolhouse, you will be rucking every day, whether that's to the PT pits or to the academics building, you carry your ruck everywhere you go. So be comfortable wearing a pack. Uh, as far as mission sets and uh, what we do, who we support, right? And I've got this philosophy that uh, TACPs are, uh, we have the ability to work anywhere with anybody at any time. Um, uh, we're Semper Gumby, if you will, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're, um, we're very flexible on what we do. But uh, um, Coop's got a different deployment experience. Uh, he was very fortunate enough to work at a strike cell supporting, uh, you know, the 75th Rangers uh, with, uh, with another uh, JTAC buddy of ours. Um, I've got TACPs or Coop and I have TACPs in our unit that, uh, that, that did other AORs that have supported, you know, uh, soft teams from the Army. Uh, myself and two other JTACs were in Africa last year supporting MARSOC and supporting um, uh, pararescue teams. So we're all over the spectrum. We, uh, we literally can be with anybody at any time because of our capabilities as a comm specialist and we control the air. So, uh, so teams, teams are attracted to us because of what we bring and how we can support them. Uh, so I, ho I hope that kind of answers your question. But um, yes, traditionally, we support Army. But there are times that we definitely go out of that that realm and go support other very specialized teams. Awesome, thanks, guys. All right, great question, Christian. Let's go ahead and go with our next question. Looks like we got Rob. Go ahead and come off mute. Ask your question, my man. Oh uh, yeah, my my questions for about uh, Air National Guard cross training. So, what what happens if you sign a contract? in another state and God forbid you wash out or you injured, you don't make it through. Am I locked uh, international guard still? And would I be thrown back into my old career field in that state or would I be allowed to go back to uh, my current unit? Yeah. So I can jump in on that. So um, it, it's kind of a unique question because it happens um, every, every so often. And a lot of times it sort of depends on what your current contract is with your current unit. So if you're in an international guard unit right now under contract, um, it sort of depends on what they're going to allow you to do. If, if you come to our tryout and you pass and you're good to go, a lot of times this may be some really good advice for you. A lot of times other air guard or even active duty air force units, what they'll do is they allow them to come to a the a past and then a one level on a permissive TDY or some sort of situation to basically loan you out to us. And if you pass that and then sign with us as a TAC P it'll be kind of, it'll be based. If it'd be a little more specific, cause we'd need to know exactly how much you have left on that contract and whatnot. Um, 
but most of the time, let's just say you wash out uh, and you're a qualified, you know, let's just say copper or whatever it is, a security forces for another unit. If you wash out of us, it, it's going to sort of depend on command. If command is, hey, let's let this guy try out again, because that actually happens a lot. And typically you'll get two shots. Um, that's that's a good way to say it. And then a lot of times, you know, if you're already in another unit, we may allow you, we'll basically use a, an Air Force form to send you back to that other Air National Guard unit, if that's what you choose. Um, also, a lot of times what guys will do is they'll come out and they'll realize, hey, it didn't work out for me, but I'm qualified security forces. Uh, and then we can actually have you stay in our security forces unit if we have room. It just sort of depends on the situation, but there's a lot of different ways uh, to kind of go through that and different options, but you wouldn't be stuck. Let me say it that way. Okay. Thank you. All right, guys, let's go ahead and go on to the next question. Shane, go ahead and ask your question, my man. Hey, uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks for doing this for us. Um, you got I it, Shane. Wondering, uh, One of my top students the, there. How are you, buddy? Looks, oh, like, you're, looks like you're in the back of a cop car, Shane. Night. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, don't, don't ask those kinds of questions. Um, anyway, what are the specific requirements uh, for your guys' one-level course? What are, the, what are the specific requirements that you guys want your trainees to go through before you give them the green light to go ahead um, to the schoolhouse? And then how, do, how does that success rate compare to the attrition rate at the schoolhouse itself? Those, those, are, those are pretty solid questions. I'll tell you the, the bare minimums off the top of my head, and I'm sure Aaron Coop's probably got uh, maybe a few others that, that probably come to his mind, and maybe even Sergeant Anderson. But um, a two-mile rock, a four-mile rock, uh, you start off the one-level course with a passed test, and, um, and then throughout the rest of the course uh, is just some introductory stuff that, uh, that we go through. But I'm pretty sure it's just the pass, the two-mile, four-mile. Um, I think that's it. Those are the mandatory items that you shall pass in order to get a, uh, a school slot. Does that, does that vibe with you two? Like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that checks with what, what I was, what I remember, but also obviously you can't quit. So we've had guys pass both or all three of those prereqs, uh, but I end up uh, self-eliminating. And if you self-eliminate, then that's, you know, it'd be the same thing at schoolhouse. If you were to self-eliminate down there, they're not going to give you another chance. So yeah, and, and for the sake of numbers, to help quantify this, if you will, wrap your minds around this concept, let's just say hypothetically we get six guys that start our one-level program, which is pretty simple, between six and eight. You can expect 50% of those people to not pass the past. And then from that, you can expect 50 people to not pass our one-level, right? So you're looking between, you know, two to three people that graduate our one-level. But those two to three that that pass our one level that go to the schoolhouse historically have a very, very high success rate at the schoolhouse. Um, past uh, TACPs that have gone to uh, the training from the Idaho International Guard have, uh, have all come back and, and said the exact same thing without any uh, pre-canned uh, notions or, or any other insight and have just openly told us that instructors have asked them where they're from and they say Idaho and the instructors without a doubt go, you guys are going to do just fine here. Uh, we like to set guys up for success. So uh, what we put you through is what everybody goes through. It's, it's, uh, we're not playing favoritisms on anything, but um, we only want dudes or gals that are completely capable of fitting in one, but two doing the job and, and, uh, and carrying that weight. So pun intended, but like literally. So um, if you go through our one level at uh, the ASOS in Idaho and you make it, 
your success rate at the pipeline is, is significantly higher than most. Thanks so much. Great question, Shane. Good to see you, man. Next question. (laughs) Yeah, man. Next question. Let's go ahead and go with Caitlin. You got a question on rucking. Hey guys, uh, thanks for all the advice that you're getting and everyone here that wants to be a candidate and stuff. So on the last ruck that I went on, um, I pretty much, my entire body hurt for like two days after I went, my hips, abductors were dead. My back was absolutely destroyed and I had hella shin splints. Is there anything aside from stretching that could prevent that? Yeah, I'll just jump in. I think uh, going back to the original rucking piece is, is that kind of uh, progressive overload. So you'll hear that in any, any type of like weight training is that you want to properly properly load and properly progress. So uh, I don't know what, what you started out with for mileage and for, for weight and for time, but um, just understand that it's going to be a slow, gradual progression, just like anything. Um, on top of recovery, I think just, yeah, obviously – stretching, getting proper nutrition and sleep. Um, but there's also a lot of other Gucci kind of, uh, gadgets you can use to help recover. And I think a lot of them out there are pretty solid, but I'd say just, you know, the pinnacle is your nutrition, your sleep, and, um, you know, how you're, how you're taking care of your body in terms of, you know, stretching, rolling out, using the cross balls, whatnot. Yeah. And, and, and Coop, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm almost certain like, uh, that uh, the schoolhouse now offers, you know, these therapists, um, uh, these yep. nutritionists, they offer all of these options uh, to help see that you get through the pipeline. Um, so uh, they're going to take care of you. Um, but I'll tell you that like every day you wake up, the last thing you want to do is put that rock on your back. It sucks. <laughs> but again, it's a mindset thing. you like, you just, you just gotta, gotta put it on, just deal with it and just go. Right. And everybody else is going through the same thing that you're going to go through. Uh, so, um, everyone's going to be complaining about it. Oh, my back, all oh, my knees, my hips, my feet, whatever. Everybody does it, but you're all going to do it together. So it's, uh, in the meantime, in this training phase, as you're developing yourself, like don't kill yourself, don't break your back. Don't do anything unnecessary. Cause again, to like the, the point earlier, you're just going to delay the inevitable. So smart, uh, train smartly and uh, just realize that, when you get into the schoolhouse, you're going to be taken care of by people on site. Another thing is that it could be a, a number of problems that your body aches after your ruck. So let's start off with your, your footwear. So the boots that you have are a big deal. All right. And my favorite that I used, um, I believe they were called the Merrill uh, Moab 2 men's ventilator boots. And you even have like garrison boots, garrison boots, meaning boots that you can actually wear with your garrison uniform to be in regulation. I knew a lot of guys that wore like a Loa Zephyrs, GTXs, things like that. There's a lot of heel padding on them, um, but they also have ankle support and they're lightweight boots. Okay. Number one, number two, you got to make sure your rucksack is sized properly. Caitlin, I know you've been to our hell day courses and we gave you a, a rucksack packing course. So uh, make sure you apply those uh, to your pack. And you're going to have a good rucksack when you get to your team, but don't count on having that great of a rucksack in the pipeline. So, you know, get an Alice pack or something like that. Now, Molly two, we just purchased 20 of those for SOCOM athlete, the the Molly two rucks. Those are fine as well. I used those in the PJ pipeline in 2008, and they're still being used now. The SFRE special forces readiness evaluation out of camp landing Florida that I'll go down in cadre for that. He used the Molly twos as well. 
Um, in addition to that, hip flexor mobility. Okay, so you are a female. And with that being said, you're going to strike the ground with your knee at a slightly different angle with some curvature. And so the inside of your knee is more susceptible to injury. Okay, so MCL, PCL, and meniscus. So spend a little bit of extra time working on hip flexor mobility, as well as taking care of those knees, whether it be wrapping them a little bit more, or just making sure that you're reducing your force of impact on your strides, all of those types of things um, can help you with that. Does that help answer your question, Caitlin? Um, yes, I use um, Rama shoes for rocks and stuff. And on my last one, we did go 10 miles, but I only had like 25 pounds on, but plus like all my other gear and stuff. But anyways, it wasn't a lot of weight, but I guess it was just a lot of distance and stuff. Right. And the boots that I was using were kind of on their last, they were on their last hike and whatever. But um, I did use KT tape afterwards to kind of allow things to move back into the places they're supposed to be and all the white blood cells to go to my knees so that they could heal properly. And that seemed to help. So, Right. Well, Caitlin, you were a good performer at our hell day. And I remembered that you're an ROTC or, or junior ROTC and, uh, and that you do ruck quite often. So um, stay at it. But keep in mind that rucking just breaks down your body. Rucking doesn't necessarily make you a lot better at rucking. It'll build a little bit of durability, but you have to be selective on the amount of weight you're using. Otherwise, it will break your body down. The idea is to build up all of these accessory muscles that are involved with ruck marching and be a great endurance athlete so that when you do get to the pipeline, your body can take that beating, okay? And the more mass that you have by the laws of physics, you're going to be able to throw that rucksack sack around a little bit easier. So if somebody weighs 250 pounds, their rucksack only weighs, you know, that's less than half of their body weight, right? Versus somebody who weighs 130 pounds, that rucksack is darn near their full body weight if it's 100 pounds with all the water in it. And by the way, whenever you hear an instructor say dry, they're referring to the weight of your rucksack without water. Thank you. Let's go ahead and go on to our next question. We got Pat got a little question about physical training. Go ahead, Pat. Uh, so my main question was uh, for getting ready for the pipeline and getting ready to crush the pass test. Should you guys just be going out and doing a mile and a half run or more than sit-ups, push-ups, or should they be going out and doing more like weightlifting things or stuff like uh, rocking through the woods or like rock climbing and stuff like that? Why not everything? I, I would say all of the above. Um, you know, throughout the week, kind of plan out what you're going to do. Uh, you don't have to be super strict with it, but just make sure you're hitting all those points. So, as I mentioned earlier, with with just the running piece, make sure you're hitting those those short distance sprints. And make sure you're hitting those long distance runs. Um, and then the same thing goes for weightlifting, right? So, like, do real long 40, 50 minute EMOMs, and then do be real comfortable at like a three, four minute AMRAP of, of something just outrageous, like an assault bike or something. Um, you know, on recovery days, I'm a big fan of just like you know, stripping down all the weight, going for a hike or, you know, go rock climbing, as you said, or going for a nice, easy swim. So um, balance kind of touch all the pieces uh, that you might, that you might think you go into. Um, everybody sees the calisthenics and thinks that that's what they need to focus on. I'm absolutely not saying you need to neglect those, um, but make sure you're hitting all those other things similar to rucking. Uh, you know, you don't want to just ruck to train for rucking. You want to do your front squats. You want to work on those, on those glutes, work on the hips, uh, work on that low back, 
kind of the chassis. So, um, sort of rock. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say training is training. You, you have to train in all, um, environments. Cause when you're at the schoolhouse, you're going to be, you know, rucking through, um, the, the, the fields of Texas. Uh, you're going to be running on the roads. You're going to be running on trail. You're going to be, you know, just everything. You're, you're going to be exposed to everything, you know, and even in the, the rain, they don't care if it rains, it's still, you're still training. Right. So just, you got to be comfortable being able to exercise or PT, uh, in any of those environments. So, uh, yes, it's important to have a weight training program. Yes, it's important to have a cardiovascular training program. Yes, it's important to have rest days. Uh, but I would also include like having an active rest day where you just go walk the foothills or you go walk a trail or ride a bike for an hour, but stay active, stay busy. Um, don't like, and just don't kill yourself doing that. All right. Great question. Good answer team. For those of you guys that are on Instagram, give spec warfare underscore Idaho a follow. That's Tech Sergeant Anderson. The 124th has been a big support to us, so we want to make sure to support them as well. All right, let's go ahead and go on to our next question. We got Steven. Hey, so uh, I'm, a, I'm in the level one program now, and um, I don't have an exact date, but I do have a month. Basically, there's two guys in front of me, and then I'm next man up. So they've kind of switched my uh, like workout programs and all that around as to not have me overtraining or – like injuring, but I have like noticed, you know, a slight decrease in performance. So like, where do you guys find that happy medium when you're kind of waiting to leave? So again, as an example, uh, Ranger school, right. Uh, you know, there's, there's this, um, there's this idea and it's real and I can speak to it. I'm, I'm sure Jason can, can uh, attest this as well, that when you go to Ranger school, you, you'll lose between 20 and 30 pounds of, of body weight. And, uh, which is kind of a scary thought. So in your mind, you're thinking like, how do I, how do I be able to run a five mile sub 40, but still maintain weight? Uh, because you know, you're going to lose your weight and you're going to want all that weight, um, when you get to school, cause you know, you're going to lose it. So you just, you just gotta, first of all, don't, don't change your sleeping habits. Don't change your eating habits. You gotta keep working out. Um, so again, going back to my last question is that you just, just got to stay active. You just got to keep training, but yeah, you got to figure out a way to scale it down a little bit to where maybe doing shorter workouts, uh, more cardio based workouts. Um, you know, just keep your heart rate up, keep your cardiovascular up, but uh, without like overexerting yourself. Uh, it's, it's a weird finicky line. I don't have the best answer for it, but, um, like Sometimes it's okay to like scale it back a little bit because now it gives your body some, some time to rest a little bit. Um, just, just also understand and realize that it doesn't matter where you go, what you do, like you're never going to have all the answers to the, to the test, right? You got to figure it out when you get there. Um, so is there a tried and true method? I'm sure somebody wrote some weird science philosophy book and they punched it into their gonculator to make sense. But uh, now that you're getting ready to go to the schoolhouse, it's um, you know what the standards are. And you know what the expectations are, probably to a certain degree. Uh, so I would just, uh, I would just keep that mindset. Like, keep staying active. Don't hurt yourself. Um, and uh, you know, get outside, run, do push-ups, do pull-ups. Um, but just, and then focus on the form. You know, obviously throughout the that entire time. But um, it just don't don't stop doing anything. I think is the biggest takeaway. Good question, Stephen. Thanks, Sergeant Brock. All right, next, let's go ahead and go with. All right, we'll see if you can redeem yourself there, Robert. Go ahead and ask your question. Come off mute. You hear me now? Yeah, got you. Gotcha. 
All right. Yeah, I had to dial in. Sorry, I'm in the sticks right now. But uh, <laughs> okay, uh, man. Last question was, uh, oh, and I appreciate you answering that before. That helped. Um, but my question also is, what does it look like integrating into a Tech P unit when, let's say, you're already E5, E6? Like, what what does that look like? And do you advise like, should I hold off on promoting, or is it even a possibility to maybe knock down a couple stripes? Like, what do they do with you if you graduate and you make it to the unit as a new guy, but you're an E6, but you're not an E6 in that career field. You know, you got it in some other career field. Yeah, I can give you the um, administrative answer really quick, and then I can let the other guys jump in on how you'll be treated. But um, so when you come over, the Air National Guard, if you've already earned a uh, up to, let's just call it E5 Staff Sergeant, uh, we will honor your Staff Sergeant when you are retraining. So you will stay a staff sergeant and go forward. If you have been promoted to E6 um, and you're a technical sergeant, at that point, it would be up to the unit. Um, it would be uh, very rare for a unit to keep someone at a an E6 or higher rank unless they had some sort of special warfare background. For instance, if they were a CCT prior, PJ prior, um, or let's just say a JTAC from another service, um, that is possible. But if you're not in, in that category, you would uh, then the recruiting staff, everyone would help you with uh, what's called a demotion and we drop you down to an E5. And then the unit would count, would bring you on as the exact same level as a non-prior service um, individual that's trying to join their unit. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. And Master Sergeant Brock, do you want to touch on that? Because your prior service and you did some serious time in the air force before cross training over into tag P. So I know that you probably have um, some more practical insight on that as well. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so I did cross train as an E6 from uh, a logistics readiness squadron into the TACP uh, unit or the ASOS here in Idaho, and uh, just how, just so happened to be at that time, and, and you know the stars aligned and everything made sense that I got to keep my E6 when I went through the pipeline and when I graduated and came back to the unit. So I'm not saying that's how it is all the time. Uh, certainly you got to look at manning docs. You got to look at positions that are available, vacancies and all this stuff, right? There's a lot that goes into it, but for me, I, I was just very fortunate. So I, I cross trained as an E6. I was able to keep my rank and, uh, and progress um, from there. So uh, it's, it's possible. How about that? Let's just say it's possible. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, team. We got time for two more questions. Let's go ahead and go with, yeah, Zane's yeah, go ahead Zane, and ask okay, your question, yeah. man. Yeah, I got confused on the last name. It's Gendra. It's kind of a weird. It's a French name. So, all right. So my question is, um, I really like hiking, and pretty much whenever I go hike, I ruck. I mean, that's just kind of like who I am. I've been carrying a pack since I was like probably like five, and so I'll get out probably a couple times a week. I would say at least carrying like forty plus pounds, at doing at least five miles. And I don't feel like it's affecting me that much. I really like doing it. I've been doing it forever. Is that something that I should um, change? And then one more thing is that I am really bad at math. And I know that you guys are comm specialists. So how would that affect me in pipeline stuff? Or not pipeline, but kind of overall. And Math is like a question. muscle. You can do it. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if- I don't know if I don't know if you caught my math earlier, but 13, 18, and three do not equal 40. So just to show like how bad math is uh, for me, and I've been able to make it this far in life without killing myself or somebody else. So no, all, all joking aside, dude, stick with stick with what you're doing, right? We the Idaho Air National Guard is filled with 
backcountry enthusiasts who grew up hunting and backpacking and doing all of that crap, right? And they crush it when they go to the schoolhouse. So you're already a leg up. You're already ahead of the game. Um, so I would just keep maintaining what you're doing. First of all, you're passionate and you love doing that as a hobby. Just keep doing it, man. Um, and uh, as far as as far as the math, and I'm sure Aaron Coop's got some uh, some input to all this, but like math is a critical part of what we do. Uh, we have to calculate and convert, you know, um, uh, magnetic compass readings to to uh, you know inclination or declination on maps. We have to coordinate, uh, you know, different uh, different ordinances and, and think about, you know, ricochet fans, and we have to do all this like. Your satellites are linking up and it looks like that, that meme of Zach Galifianakis from uh, the hangover with all the numbers and all the equations, you know, blowing up around their head. Like that's a real thing. You're standing on an OP and you're doing all these calculations and you're like, what is going on right now? Oh my God. But the reality of the situation is like you, you have to, you have to be able to think quickly and you have to be able to do math. Like you do uh, just a kind of a cheat, 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 or, you know, cheat codes, if you will, like, I think Coop does too, uh, but I know I carry a little small co- uh, calculator on me everywhere I go because I'm I'm converting feet to meters or meters to feet, and I'm doing mill you know ratio uh, mill relation formulas. I'm doing all kinds of different formulas in my head, um, but uh, everything that we do has math in it, right? It's it's all calculated. Um, uh, everything we do is calculated. Hey, I yeah, appreciate absolutely. That. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'll just I'll just. Uh, kind of add on to that. I would say with the, with the rucking piece, with the hiking piece, man, if it's not being detrimental, continue doing it. Uh, I, I, when I, when I talk about the rucking, I'm, I'm broad stroking for most people, but um, obviously you, you've, you've grown up doing that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily change it on the math piece. I am just God awful at math. Uh, grew up, couldn't do math, saved my life. Uh, it's not any like crazy calculus or anything. It's, you know, it's mostly basic addition, subtraction, multiplication and division, but uh, nonetheless, you still have to do it. Um, and as master Brock said, I carry a calculator as well, just because um, if you're not cheating, you ain't trying. So, um, yeah. And Zane's check out STEM education. Perhaps it's not that all of you guys are bad at math. Perhaps it's that math isn't as interesting to you. Right. And so you don't train as hard for it. So when you find some type of application that requires mathematics that's interesting to you, you can probably get pretty good at that. Okay. So STEM education is using something, for example, what got me in this whole thing with SOCOM athlete and starting this company a long time ago was at the university of Arizona. There's a professor named Dr. Ricardo Valerdi, and we worked on a project together. Dr. Valerdi is the owner of a company called the science of sports, and he takes middle school and high school kids on field trips to major league baseball stadiums and teaches them physics and math through baseball, whether it be throwing a baseball out to center field or hitting the ball and going over trajectory or trigonometry, how to calculate the hypotenuse of a triangle. When you have two sides of that triangle, you know, those lengths, right? That's what Pythagorean theorem, a A squared plus B squared equals C squared things that may sound complicating to somebody that doesn't have any mathematical background, but could be very easily explained within an hour just by being interested in it. So if you want to get better at math, guys, without obviously going and YouTube and JTAC stuff, which there's no need to do something like that, guys. You'll learn that when you get in the Air Force. Same goes with the PJ wannabes. No need to go and get EMT basic or paramedic. That just takes a bunch of time away from you. You know, Focus on your training. There's a reason why the ASVAB and your past test are it. So work on that math, Zanes. Maybe you don't suck. Maybe you're good. Thank you, you just need to work on it. Huh? Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Last question. 
Go ahead, Slater. What you got for us? All right. I, with the amount of rucking that um, you guys are doing in the pipeline, uh, I can imagine taking care of your feet is extremely important. Uh, how did you take care of your feet from day-to-day routines, like do, routines-wise? And um, on my most recent ruck, I was doing a lot of water crossings, and I was getting my feet wet, and I got blisters extremely quick, and it got really painful. Uh, how do you take care of your feet in wet environments as well? Pack extra socks everywhere you go. <laughs> no, like, like no kidding. I, I say that jokingly, but in all reality, like, uh, like when I go do my own stuff out in the mountains, when I go backpacking, whatever, I always got two or three extra pairs of socks with me because your feet are your most important thing when you're getting around on, you know, by, uh, by your go fasters or your, uh, Lamborghinis or whatever you want to call them. Right. So you got to, uh, you got to take care of your feet, but I will tell you that blisters aren't necessarily a bad thing because blisters could eventually form calluses and calluses are good because it hardens your feet, hardens your skin. Um, I'm not saying go out and get blisters. Um, but, uh, but this also comes back to appropriate footwear, you know, and taking care of your shoes as well as your feet. Uh, so it's, it's just one of those things that's going to happen. You just got to kind of deal with it a little bit, but there are preventative measures out there, clean, dry socks, clean, dry boots, um, and constantly changing those and rotating those out so that uh, you're not just, uh, you know, potentially opening yourself up to swamp foot, you know, where your skin literally just slides it off your foot. So, um, but yeah, I, just having extra socks and boots are, are a go-to for me. I don't know about Coop. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Um, down at the schoolhouse when I was there, uh, they actually started issuing uh, Loa Gore-Tex boots, which are fantastic boots, and then also darn tough socks. So um, in addition to the Gore-Tex boots, having a very quality sock, I think, is really important. Uh, you can tell the difference if you're just wearing some Nike socks compared to like a really good um, either darn tough or, or, or one of the other uh, kind of uh, Moreno wool socks. Uh, I know pretty much everybody in the TACP or Special Warfare Career Fields pretty much use those across the board. Um, so like Sergeant Brock said, don't, don't be afraid to kind of callous them now, but um, uh, it's, it's just going to happen, but, you know, take those preventative measures by either, you know, making sure they stay dry or using the proper equipment. All right. Thank you for the quick advice. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. That was extremely informative and team. Make sure that you reach out to these guys uh, Tech Sergeant Anderson left his contact information earlier on in the chat. If you want to scroll up, he left his phone number. Um, we included his email in the podcast. It'll, op- it'll also be in the caption as well. And for those that didn't hear, he is spec warfare underscore Idaho on Instagram. And Master Sergeant Brock is Douglas underscore Brock on Instagram. Give these guys a follow. Team, go ahead and come off mute and say goodbye to our guests. Thanks for coming on tonight. Goodbye. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you guys. Have a great night. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to this exclusive episode of the Send Me Podcast with the 124th ASOS. If you enjoyed the podcast and are on Apple Podcasts, please consider giving us a five-star written review as this supports us greatly. If you feel led to give back to the program, consider donating a couple bucks a month through our Patreon fund. All proceeds go directly to providing scholarships to SOCOM athlete students to attend our prep events, held days, development courses, etc. 
You can find the link to our Patreon fund here in the caption of this episode or on our main episode description or by going to www.patreon.com slash athlete. Thank you again for listening to the Send Me podcast by SOCOM Athlete. This is your host, Jason. We are out. Thank you. Up. Up. Down.